This podcast was originally recorded on August 14th, 2020 as part of a live meetup. Indie Worldwide hosts multiple live meetups and live streamed interviews with indie founders every month. You can find links to our next meetup at IndieWorldwide.co. Yeah, we have with us today Luis Vieira of uh, Portugal, who is here to talk about no code, um, launching fast, and his recent acquisition of his no code startup, Unicorn Ads. Um, Luis, do you want to start us off with like a brief self-introduction, a bit of backstory? Yes, uh, I'm originally from Portugal and uh, I've been in the no-code space ever since it wasn't even called no-code. Yes, I was on the, those WordPress websites that uh, plagued the web a couple of years ago. I've been attempting some things and yeah, after no-code started, I was very happy that we finally, like non-technical people finally have means to make uh, bigger projects. And so I opted on pretty early and yeah, uh, I made about three projects and my final project in Ads got acquired uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, can you tell us a bit about how that acquisition happened? Yeah. So Unicorn, first of all, it's, it's best to explain the product. So Unicorn Ads is a product where you can see all of the ads from the top thousand Shopify stores. And this information is very valuable, especially if it's in a directory where people can easily access, you know, the top 1% of ads. And so uh, I focused on promoting promoting it a lot, the project in the industry. And I I got about three or four offers. Like they were different, there were different offers. Some offers were for affiliate deals. Some offers were for partnerships. And this specific offer, um, they wanted to, to buy it at first. And then I turned it into a Neki hire because I wanted to keep working on the product and they wanted to also have me working on the product. So this was how it, um, it processed itself. What was your marketing strategy for getting it out there? Yeah, I, I, I focused on, um, first of all, like my, my main fear was this is an MVP and I'm pretty sure like if I'm starting to get any success, I'm going to have like clones of my project. And so I focused on launching it very fast. I launched it on every single Facebook group I could. My, my, my biggest boost was actually in the beginning. Like I got this very important person in the industry to share it and on Twitter, which was actually like a very important traffic source in the beginning. And then even the founder of, uh, um, Beyonce, which is now the chief product officer at Adobe, he shared my project as well. So it kind of started growing from there. And yeah, this, this was my first strategy and then Facebook groups and then like some, um, some YouTubers and all that. Were those like powerful shares random or was that something you made happen? I made happen. I, um, I definitely, I contacted uh, some, some users before, like I had somewhat of a pitch. I proposed like, look, would this be valuable to you? And most of them were like, yes, this is super valuable. And they would just share it around the community. Can you tell us a bit more about your approach to Facebook because you've written some articles about that and I've started to copy your strategies there as ah, well. yes. and it's, I think uh, it'd be useful for a lot of people to hear a bit more about what you've been calling audience avalanche. Yeah. Audience avalanche uh, is kind of an open secret guys, uh, which is basically if you post on any group and you kind of do your pitch for your product and then you ask, instead of linking it out, you just ask, Hey guys, would anyone be interested in this? And if you pick your groups well, well, it's an avalanche. People are just like, yes, 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 yes. And a lot of people will just keep asking, yes, yes, yes. And so 
Facebook kind of takes the post and sees, okay, this is getting a lot of engagement. So it pushes it out to everyone in the group. And so after you have like 50 or 100 comments, which is very common with this strategy, the best thing you can do is you start tagging people and sending them to the link. And then you, you, and you just say, look, guys, you like, there's a lot of interest in the group and then you just link it out so people don't have to write yes again. And if you do this, like I've been getting, you know, a thousand, two thousand visitors from Facebook groups, like every time I do this, which is absolutely bonkers for a strategy that costs, you know, zero dollars. It's, it's perfect. How do you, so a lot of Facebook groups have rules around self-promotion that are very strict and especially with new users. So how do you manage to um, post successfully on these groups, especially if they yes. have like restrictive? Like this is definitely like a controversial strategy. It honestly depends a lot on the group. Like, I don't know if you guys know Noah Kagan, the okay dork. Um, like I, I tried this on his group. Like the first time he was cool with it. The second time was like, look, I don't like you doing this on my group. And it, I, yeah, it was actually a very sad moment because I, I, I love his content a lot. And uh, he was a bit disappointed. But definitely, like, I, I, if you ask the Facebook admins first from the group, like, most of them will accept it. They just don't want you to, like, randomly show up and just start doing this. Mm -hmm. But if you ask them and the, the tool is actually valuable to the group, a lot of them will be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. So first thing you do, you show up, you find out the admins, and you send them a message before even your first. Yes. Um, I'm going to link the article that Lewis wrote up on Indie Hackers for people to read after this meetup because it's really good and includes um, like examples of him doing it for another project, which was e-commerce drinker. Um, um, go, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say Justin in the chat um, is asking if on Unicorn Ads you went into it with a business model in mind. Yeah, actually... Um... Unicorn has kind of a weird project because I launched a previous project before called e-commerce ranker, where I was kind of making this uh, manual crunch base for the top thousand Shopify stores, top hundred, sorry. And I was using that as a lead, like a lead generation process kind of mechanism to my agency services because I used to run Facebook ads for companies. And one thing I noticed was I, I had this super viral post on Reddit and everyone was like, oh, this is super useful. You can actually see the ads from these companies. And I'm like, whoa, did I, I, I had like 23 categories of data and everyone was just focusing on, you actually can get the ads. And so I think, okay, if I make this into a standalone product, I might have a lot more interest, which was true. Like, you know, e-commerce ranker had 20,000 visitors over six months. Unicorn ads had 20,000 visitors over a month so it was like actually like I, I could feel that you know people were much more engaged to it people were sharing it and so that was kind of um, as for the business model I didn't have a specific business model because at the time I was still doing agency services so I knew I could you know create leads and for my own business but th the product itself could work as an affiliate tool because I had so much traffic I could just siphon it to you know other tools other paid tools and I would just get you know the affiliate money on the back Reddit is its own beast. Do you have any tips for um, getting engagement there and again, not getting Oh yes. Uh, yeah, problem with Reddit is that people gain up votes if they're mean to you. So you have to be, <laughs> you, have to, you have to kind of be above it and you have to kind of make yourself belong to the group. Like if you use memes and like if you use their language, they will accept you. 
but only for a couple of times. You can't do it all the time. So Reddit is a, a very risky um, uh, distribution channel. Definitely one where I, I, I don't invest a lot of time because you can have the best post ever and then they just like kill you in the comments and it's impossible to get any traction. So that's a problem. Um, let's see. Uh, can you talk a little, some of the people are just joining us. So could you um, reintroduce what the product is? Yeah, I'll, I'll link it. If maybe it, it might be easier because we're still using the old, uh, old project and it's unicornads.com. Um, basically, we have a directory of the top thousand Shopify stores uh, linking to their ads on Facebook. So Facebook has this thing called Facebook ad library where they released it by themselves, where they show the ads from the e-commerce companies that run ads on, on Facebook. And our product was making it into a directory of only the top thousand Shopify stores. Because the, the thing about the advertising industry, and I'm pretty sure everyone will agree with me, ads suck. And so it's literally the top 1% of ads that are actually good. And by having the top thousand Shopify stores, we're kind of having like a quality control over what ads could, like the quality of the ads. So that's kind of uh, the product. Um, what are some of the insights that you were able to pull out of that once you started looking at what makes an ad good, especially for a Shopify store? Yeah, so um, first of all, the, the quality of the video, like, you know, these Shopify stores, they're they're starting to get corporate. So they have like entire teams built around, you know, only paid social. So these ads see on Facebook for like direct to consumer products, they have entire teams going and testing them out. And if you can, if you can see what the, you know, the, if you can see the trends, you kind of can predict the market where the market is going. And that is very useful. So this is something that unicorn ads would really help because since it's like divided by niches, imagine you have a fitness company. Even if it's a smaller fitness company, it's very good to instantly know what the big players are doing. And so you can kind of mirror your ads into what they're doing and you have like some success. And so this is uh, the main possibility of the product. How fast does like the ads ecosystem change? Is there like, ever like evergreen styles of ads that always seem to work? No, it changes like, especially on Facebook, there, there's just so much competitiveness, competitiveness that it, it changes like almost monthly, you know, like just to give an example, like now the type of ad that is going really well, it's like bizarre. It's like makeup companies are making ads where they just destroy their products and you'd be like, okay, this, <laughs> this makes no sense, but you know, like it's what engages people and what makes people click. So. The ad industry is very competitive. So there's always interest for like these types of tools, any tool that can give you like some intelligence into what the others are doing and how you can improve your, um, your conversion rates or your ads, like 1% improvement on an ad can mean millions of dollars in the end of the year mm. for like any company. So this is the type of potential. It's brutal to try to catch someone's attention in just like half second of scrolling. Yes. Um, it kind of sounds like unicorn ads could become like a deeper analytics tool, even since you have all the data about what's performing well, like you mentioned the ability to pull out trends and things. Yes. Well, actually at, at my current company, because I was actually hired, we're, we're, we're doing something like that internally, which, because my, the agency that, uh, I was bought by an agency called chamber media. So it's chamber.media and they're like a video creative agency. And to have the ability to pull out trends and to see what's working will give us a big edge over any company. And so this is kind of what we're doing now. 
How did that acquire come to be? Who reached out to who and what was that conversation like? Yeah, actually, a uh, big shout out to Chamber Media. They made it very simple and very fast. So I was promoting it. I was doing my audience avalanche tactic on a group and I got eight, this is crazy. I got 1800 comments, which is just absurd. Like I've never seen that, like for $0 in terms of marketing strategy, that was absurd. And the post was getting so viral. I was getting like messages by the minute. It was just absurd. Like I was, I couldn't even go off Facebook because everyone was just messaging me. And so I, this, the CEO of the agency, he added me and he was very nice. He made me a couple of questions like, um, what am I doing? What is the, like, he was making like basically specking questions about the product. So what is the product? Uh, what is, what do you think the future can be? What are you currently doing? And we had some back and forth and I said, look, uh, yeah, product is not really for sale, but I would be interested in Acquihire because I wanted to focus my full attention on the product and mm -hmm. they were okay with it. And like full transparency by, by the end of the, um, by the end of the day, they had like a contract that I could uh, see. I had a, no, by the end of the day, I had a meeting scheduled with the president of the agency. So the next day I talked to them. By the end of that day, they had a contract on the table. And this was on a, they started on a Wednesday and we finished everything by Monday. So by Monday I was hired. That's fast. Yeah, that's very fast. Um, do you think it would have happened if it hadn't gone so fast? I think, I think it would, I, I had like a lot of interest, like a lot of people were trying to, you know, like a lot of people were trying to buy it and a lot of people were trying to make partnerships out of it. But, uh, my strategy was always, I, I wanted like a big partner behind it because it's just easier to get traffic and all of that. And so this, like, I definitely prefer their deal. What made them stand out versus other offers that were coming in? Uh, actually they're, they're a video creative agency. Like they're the best in their field. And I, I think like this, this would make, this would mean the product would go further and there was a lot more potential for internal use as well as external use. Were they already on, on your radar beforehand? I I've heard about them in the past. I've actually mm -hmm. taken some inspiration for them, but I, I didn't know anything about the CEO or. That was a really cool story and the way that it happened so quickly and explosively. <laughs> Very yes. exciting. Um, well, now that you're part of this company, are you full-time still on Unicorn Ads? Do you have larger responsibilities? Yeah, so they, they hired me as Director of Product and Innovation. So I'm um, obviously like any, everything around Unicorn Ads, we're, we're, I'm, I'm in charge. And of course, I'm helping the, the company in other areas like email marketing and all that. This is also stuff that was included on Unicorn Ads. So Unicorn Ads had a big email marketing component. Uh, someone was asking about my business model. My business model was getting as much data as possible from people who were visiting unicorn ads. So we had a lot of uh, email pop-ups and, and things that could, you know, we could get data from anyone who was visiting. So this was it. And I'm also helping the company in that. How do you manage your email marketing on your projects? Uh, for unicorn ads, uh, I use ConvertKit. So. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, in my opinion, it's the best email marketing software that any maker could have. They don't allow like video and images directly on the email, but because they don't allow that, they have much bigger um, like delivery rates. They're some of the highest delivery rates because it's only text. And by being only text, I found that when you send out an email 
even if it's like marketing email and it's only text people read it because it kind of feels like a personal one-to-one -one email and so this is something i noticed and I, i've been definitely leveraging that to get much higher open rates what is the delivery rate on convertkit versus like other softwares you've used um i didn't use any other software like i i, I studied this a lot before jumping on a particular email marketing service because it's really hard to like transfer email uh, subscribers from one email to the other provider. Mm -hmm. And um, like, uh, it's very simple. Like the, my uh, open rate currently on ConvertKit is 40%. Of course, it depends on the content and all that, but this is pretty high when compared to like the benchmarks, which is, I don't know, 25%. And so this is a uh, data you guys can have. <laughs> what um so what what made you before you so you're looking at different email marketing tools what made you decide convertkit is going to be the best one for you um i follow this i follow this guy called net net eliason i think he's a guy from a he has a company called growth machine or something seo company and he said like he had this big post about why convertkit is best and i really follow this advice and it was like very sound advice. I think that having the highest delivery rates is what you want. Because think about it, more than, you need eyeballs to read your emails. And if it's not getting delivered, you're just wasting your time and your money. So this is like my main objective for email marketing. Um, Marta Garcia in the chat asks what your biggest motivation was for Unicorn Ads. Of course, hello Marta, she's, uh, she's my friend. Um, yeah, de definitely like, I'm not even going to say money. I just saw like that there was this big interest from people on, on, on the tool and I just started building it. Like I built it, uh, I did the MVP with like no code tools. And this was uh, my, my biggest motivation was seeing the reaction of having like this full fl fully fledged product that everyone wanted. So that was like my main motivation. Did your marketing strategy evolve between e-commerce ranker and unicorn ads? or it has the same techniques pretty much work. Honestly, it didn't have time to evolve. Like three weeks went by so fast. Like by the time I was thinking about doing some crazy new things, I was already acquired. Like it's definitely, I'm definitely thinking of some new uh, growth levers right now. We're definitely gonna invest more into YouTube and mm -hmm. getting traffic from other places. But yeah, it's, it's gonna change a bit. Um, um, Chalo, who I'm pretty sure you also know. <laughs> asks how much time it took you to build um, your products with NoCoderie. Okay, uh, thank you, Gonzalo. Uh, big shout out to NoCoderie. I told them I would do this. And uh, yeah, guys, visit NoCoderie as well. Best job board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I took I took around three weeks. So I used, I used a website called Table2Site to build um, the front end and the back end. So like Table2Site was my main project. Uh, table to site uses Airtable on the back end, so the website was powered by Airtable. And for a lot of the data inside, I used Fiverr. So in Fiverr, you can get people to scrape data for you for pretty cheap. <laughs> and um, yeah, that that's like the biggest thing you can do in terms of uh, speeding your projects. Like if you're dealing with data projects, I, I definitely advise people to just spend a bit and get like someone to scrape things for you. So I, I spent around like $50 on scraping. So all the scraping was done manually to no, no bot scraping? No, I mean, 
I don't know what the guys on Fiverr did, but they delivered me good data. And so, yeah, like it's it's really crazy. Like I they scraped like a thousand Instagram accounts for like ten dollars. And this was just yeah. absurd. Like, how is this even how is this even possible? And well, they know how they must be using scraping tools in that case. No yes, for, so, for sure. Um, have you used any scraping tools yourself or do you usually jump to Fiverr? No, I, I use Scrapebox. So Scrapebox is actually uh, very useful. You can do a lot of things with Scrapebox. I just didn't have the because I was working like I was working full time and I was making unicorn ads on the side, and so I just realized, okay, it's, it's time to stop being so worried about spending ten dollars or twenty because this will, this will not matter if I just get like a big, very big client. So uh, Scrapebox is actually, I, I, I like Scrapebox. It has a lot of uh, options that. Um, that it's it's kind of no code. Um, yeah, I've been using one recently called uh, Simple Scraper. It also works well, and it's really easy to set up. It's just a Chrome extension, which is it's, so it has a low barrier to entry, which has been good for me. Ah, good, good. Um, I'm actually looking for more scraping tools. I feel like knowing how to scrape things it's fifty percent of uh, an internet marketer's job. There's also one being built by uh, a member of Indie Worldwide that looks really good, but the name is escaping me. And it's still an open beta. I'll see if I can grab that to share in the chat as well. Yeah, but there's a ton of them. Um, and it can save so much time. Like, I think there's a lot of businesses still to be made out of like scraping and like reposting, adding some like value through curation. Yeah, I, I think organizing chaos it's uh, it's a, it's a very big business model. Like if if you're organizing something that's like just spread out around the web, like you can get a ton of value from it. And I've been noticing that in my past past couple of projects, like all of them were based around organizing chaos or making it into directories or even tools. This is like a very big business, which I think will always be a profitable business. You so if you weren't currently. Um, hired employed um is there any of these that you'd be pursuing right now i'd be definitely looking more into the uh shopify ecosystem like it's right like the shop of shopify is very open and so like there's a lot of data you can gather from like all the stores hmm. and the thing is like the market is very i will say this screw it market is very dumb like they, they just scrape the basic values and they have to, like you have to kind of get insights from those values yourself. But anyone who has worked in e-commerce knows that there's like, there's like these ratios and, and stuff that you can predict, like you can almost, like you can predict like the profitability of any Shopify store with their own data. It, this is just bonkers. That is even possible. Mm -hmm. And so I think the future, like if anyone's thinking about building some some big tool, I think that's a an important uh, market to, to be in. There's like so much data out there now, it's pretty much impossible for anyone to be able to synthesize it meaningfully without indie hackers basically coming up with these tools and doing the synthesization and putting it out there. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the problem about uh, synthesizing data is that you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what the market really wants. When I made like the, my Reddit post that went viral about the top 100 Shopify stores, um, one of the big insights that I got was a, a lot of people came to me asking for like data. And basically I served them, but my main job was obviously running Facebook ads. 
And I got like, I got this message on Reddit about this guy saying, Hey, we're a Chinese investment fund and we want like, uh, we want data, all the data you have. The deal in the end, it didn't go through. But the thing is like, there, there was clearly like a lot of interest from, uh, from companies regarding, you know, getting all the data you can and just organizing it. Why did that deal fall through if you're allowed to talk about that? No, the, the, they just, they just weren't very uh, business oriented in the sense that they were like trying to, I felt like, you know, I, I wouldn't get my money's worth from my, from my work. So. Um, I have a question on why you chose to migrate from like the direct air table integration to your table to site. No, no, the table to site uses the air table integration right now. Like I, I can say this, we're, we're migrating, uh, which was like my original plan. We're migrating to Webflow. So also a big shout out to Webflow. I think they're clearly the big monopoly in no code. So let's see if this, uh, if this goes well. What I mean is on your, uh, on e-commerce maker, right? You just did straight drop the air table into the landing page where it's just table to site. It's got a bit of a prettier front end. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, the thing is there was kind of a journey. So I, I finished college in September and I was taking like baby steps regarding side projects. So my first side project was literally a dump of all of the targeting options that uh, social media had in terms of ads into a notion, like just a notion page, I guess. And that was like, it had no accessibility. It was like very bad user experience. It was just a list. However, it got to the front page of Acker News which I thought, okay, this is just absurd because I instantly had like 150 email subscribers and I thought, oh my God, this is going to be really easy. It's all it takes. <laughs> it was my first and only time on the front page of Hacker News. But uh, so then I, I started realizing, okay, but if I organize this better, I might have kind of this side project where I can promote. And while I'm sleeping, people are get, getting into my funnel, which is like a huge advantage when, when you have like an agency because you can't worry about selling and doing the, you know, doing the actual work all the time. And when I did commerce ranker, because it was getting some traction, I, I had to keep investing my marketing, you know, time into it. And once e-commerce ranker was kind of done and I think, okay, I really can't promote this much further. I was thinking about making bigger ideas and to make bigger ideas, you know, I had to make like a better front end. I had to worry about that mm -hmm. at the time. Like I had this big kind of, my, my website is done on Webflow. But Webflow is kind of complicated to operate and the cost would be a bit higher. And so because it was an MVP, I just went to table to site, which I think it was a, a good option at the time. LewisVieira.com is the website built on Webflow. Yeah. Check that out as well. Um, so what do you see as your like current next steps? Where, are your, where do your ambitions lie at the moment? I'm definitely going to uh, take Unicorn as as far as possible. I really like working with the company. They're, they're very capable people. I, f I feel like I really, I really got like this, this magic opportunity because it's really like I'm in Portugal and to work for an American company at 22, it's, uh, it's pretty, like, I don't know anyone who has done it, especially if they're non-technical people. So I definitely will want to keep working with them. And I, I, I'm always researching on the side, like ideas that I think could be big even to just test them out. I definitely like what I told you guys, like organizing chaos is a big, big deal. And there's like a lot of big companies 
that are just literally making millions off just doing this. Was the is the company you're working for now, or are, were they remote from the get go, like before everyone was forced? Oh to no, 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 I'm the only remote employee actually. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. But since I like since I don't have to deal with the client, it's actually decent for them. Like I just have to have like I have like six hours layover with them, so I can have like meetings and all that. But they're pretty like they they give me a lot of independence, which is good. Mm. Do you feel there's any drawbacks to being the only remote guy at the moment? Like I definitely feel that I'm well not forgotten, but it's it's definitely like I, I won't be in you know, dinner parties or, or anything. Like this this is something I I'm pretty like I know it's gonna happen like this. But uh yeah, I, I think I think uh I think it's fine. Like if you if your personality can handle the remote work, like opportunities are pretty endless. I, I honestly think you know, if you're in like Portugal or Spain or some, you know, poorer European country, remote work is definitely like the biggest opportunity you can have to, imp to improve your, your life. So get ready and get good at it, I think. Since you are based in Portugal, what are your views on like the Portuguese like startup ecosystem such as it is and like European tech versus US well, and China in general? Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that there's there are some interesting projects in Portugal, but they're very, I don't know, it, it, we don't have the refinement. I, I've been in the, into the US and I think like any small city in the US has a, like, you know, an, a startup environment as exciting as probably Lisbon. Like there's a lot of, a lot of companies in Lisbon are, are not that exciting. The projects are, a lot of projects are based around housing and stuff that's not really scalable. So at one point, Uniplaces was one of the biggest startups in Lisbon. And for those who don't know, like Uniplaces is basically the reason why rents have gone gone up like 200%. And um, like in terms of the US, yeah, the, the USA has like a lot more exciting projects, even in the hackers, like, you know, any random person in the hackers will have like, will be much more open to discuss ideas and all that. Like I, I haven't felt that in the Lisbon uh, startup ecosystem at all. Um, I don't have any connection. Basically, I, I like the I like the online. Uh, online has made me. I, I I will continue betting on the online relationships. Where do you think that like cultural difference comes from? I mean, we definitely have like a much less entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial society. I definitely think like I I don't want to stray off topic. I definitely think taxes play a bit into it. Like it's much, it's, it's much better. Like in the U S people are much more cooperative. So like if, if you can make, you know, 500 K off me, you don't mind paying me like 250. Like that's, that's really the mentality. I like the mentality of the U S like it's very much, very much based on growth. Like let's grow as, you know, as big as possible. And then we can worry about other things while in Europe, not just in Portugal, in Europe, I feel like the mentality is that if you grow to a certain size, you'll instantly get capped by taxes and by regulations that it's just better for you to just extract as much value from your employees and don't give them anything. Like I had a meeting on Monday with like this, this uh, big startup person in Lisbon and he was saying like, nobody takes equity in Portugal and in Europe basically because equity like doesn't have value. People just have to be paid a bit better. So as far as like finding your community online, how have you gone about that? Um, I definitely like Indie Hackers a lot. 
uh, I wanted to invest more of my time into it. Like, I feel like if you make good posts, people like really engage and they really want to care about you. And yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's a lack of like a marketing space that's not like overly spammy. Like, I feel like a lot of the marketing spaces are based around, you know, people spamming each other, like what they have. I definitely feel like, you know, marketing examples and all of those projects, they come from this need of having like true marketing communities and knowledge. And so I think that's definitely one of the things I would like to see more online. Um, Leo in the chat asks if you know of any Instagram scraping tools and is also curious about how much money you have to spend in order to build apps with no code tools. Um, I, I don't know of any specific Instagram scraping tools because they, they go down all the time. Like my advice is just go to Fiverr and like broker a deal. They're pretty accessible. They just want your $10. So they'll be open to anything. Um, as far as spending money, uh, I don't think you need to spend a lot of money. Like overall with Unicorn Ads, I spent around $150. It's definitely like the value you can generate out of it. I feel like that's uh, that's common. Like, you know, if, if, if you're a coder, like you can make, you know, use AWS to make your like you, to host or something, and you can make, you know, a very big project on like a couple of dollars per month. Did you run ads on Unicorn Ads? No, I didn't run ads on Unicorn Ads. Not yet, mm -hmm. at least. Like we're thinking about it, but it's, uh, it was so fast, guys. It's, uh, it's incredible. Where did, um, like, where did you allocate that $150 of budget? I know you spent like $10 on scraping. That still leaves 140. Yeah. Um, yeah. I bought Scrapebox because I needed to get, uh, I bought I bought Scrapebox because I need to scrape some some of the things myself. I end up not using it a lot, so I feel like those I think seventy or eighty dollars were kind of wasted. And I uh, paid table to site about three months, so it's ten dollars per month. And the rest, no, actually the rest was bought on scraping. Basically, it was paid to to, to scrape things. How did you get started with like startups and no code? What drew you to it in the first place? Yeah, so uh, actually on my last high school, high school year, I challenged myself to make a project with uh, like only a month's worth of minimum wage in my country, which at the time was like probably $550. And so like I managed a couple of ideas. I, I, I had never, you know, used code. I've never coded. I never had any interest, to be honest. And so I had a couple of ideas and I settled on, okay, I'm going to make a online TV channel for my country, which was like a cultural project. And that's how I started. So I paid, you know, I, I bought like some uni WordPress theme and I just started pounding away at it, which is very, like anyone who has used WordPress, it's kind of, uh, kind of bad. And so I tried yeah. to like push it to the limits, but like, it was not complying. And so I made like this cultural project and at the time it was like very, like it defined my person, I think in terms of like what I'm doing today, because even though it was like a very bad project, like if you go to like, um, I don't know, to uh, search for it online, you'll see that the UX was terrible. It was absolutely terrible, but the, the, the effort I put into promoting my projects, I learned a lot about how to promote things, how to pitch things. And that was like a big advancement. And of course, like I had this whole, like I had to think about growth, I had to spend a budget, like all of those projects, like they really define you, I think. Um, Dave in the chat 
asks if you could briefly go over Audience Avalanche again. Of course, uh, Audience Avalanche is, um, so you go to a Facebook group and you kind of pitch your project in a very casual way. So the way I pitched Unicorn Ads, basic, I, I basically said, look guys, I, I've built this tool that allows you to see the top 1% of uh, e-commerce ads on, online. And then I would ask, is there anyone here interested in getting access to it? And of course, if you pick your groups well, everyone will be like, yes, me, me, send me. Yes, yes. And you'll get like 50 or 100 comments like within an hour. And you can, like, you can just let them keep, keep commenting. And after like a while, like two or three hours or maybe four or five hours, you start tagging people and you just say, uh, hey, come visit the link. Here's the link. And you can tag up to 50 people per comment. So you can, like, I just tag all of the first names. So it's like uh, Anthony, Lois, Dave, like all, all of these, like only first names. And then you say like, hey guys, here's your link. And people will get the notification. So you like will instantly get like a lot of traffic. You can do like this 50, 50 people comments about, I mean, until Facebook like kind of stops you from being able to tag people, it's like five or six comments, which is like at least 300 people. And when you, once you do this, like you start to get like a lot of traffic. And since Facebook still sees that there's like a lot of engagement, a lot of positive signals, they'll start, you know, pushing your, your post to all of the group members. And when Facebook is doing this, what you do is you just edit your original post and you post your link there. So nobody needs to comment again. And this way, like you, you get like a ton of traffic. I've done this for like all of my projects and I've gotten like, I don't know, over this month, this, this, like this year, I've probably got like over 50K users from Facebook alone, which is like absurd for $0, by the way. You've written about a uh, LinkedIn strategy too. Could you tell us about that one? Oh yes, it's a very simple way to uh, capture, like uh, search for people. Basically like th there's something called Google dorks. I think it's best if you just uh, write in the chat and <laughs> it's kind of a way of making Google search what you really want. And so there's like ways where you can search only on LinkedIn. So if you do like site double dots, um, linkedin.com, uh, maybe I'll write it. So you do like this. If you do this, like you can just, if you search for that on Google, Google will only give you results from LinkedIn. And if you do this, like you can, like, you know, if you start thinking about ways of doing this, you can do some crazy things. Like you can do site linkedin.com and then you do like at gmail.com. And so you start to getting, you start getting only results where Google has found a Gmail account. So Google is kind of your database for this. And yeah, like if, you, if you're doing like some project and you want to like uh, get the emails from like e-commerce people, you just do site linkedin.com at gmail.com and then you do like e-commerce and then you start getting like this huge list of like all the people in e-commerce and you can scrape that. How do you scrape uh, Google results? Um, at the time I used some uh, extension called data miner, which, uh, basically it allows you to scrape only the exact results you, you use. So I, I used to like say, look, only scrape the entire sentence that has like at gmail.com. So it would scrape, like it would give me the link of the profile and then it would give me the, um, it would give me the exact Gmail account, which was very useful. Um, are there any other 
uh, like websites you target with certain marketing strategies or other marketing strategies in general that you leverage? Mm, like you, you can you can post your link on some Reddit uh, communities, like some subreddits directly. They're not very common, but you definitely can. Um, other things. Um, uh, if you like, if you can find people who have like big newsletters, that's also like a good advancement. Like people will uh, will be res responsive to that. Like you can get a couple of a uh, couple of visits off that. Other than that, I think um, if you do a piece of content that's very good, you can repurpose it and use it on several websites, which I think is like where the magic comes from. Like every from marketing examples does this a lot. Like you'll see that he has this like he has this master post. And then it will just cut off pieces and it'll, it'll like do different posts for like different places, but it's all coming from like one post. So he's saving a lot of time on the back end and he's getting a lot of subscribers, you know, on the front end. So that's definitely one strategy you guys should consider. Is that something you did with Unicorn Ads? Um, we're definitely going to invest a lot more into content mm -hmm. like in the near future. So I'm definitely going to try that. Like uh, for some reason, like, organic content converts much better than ads like specific ads so it's if, if people see that you have like a lot of interest in the community like you got you got a lot of upvotes or something for some reason they feel like it's fine to just like register for your newsletter and all of that it's like a, a very uh, strange psychological effect but definitely one that you know if you're good at it you should use it to your advantage how do you go about repurposing content a lot of it is the title so like for example if you go to reddit and you just i don't know do a title with memes or something or like kind of reddit is kind of cynical in a way so if you do like a cynical title like all like if you go on i don't know reddit entrepreneur and you say all oh, jeff bezos is wrong this is how you do it like you know people are just mm -hmm. like oh of course jeff bezos is wrong but if you go to india hackers and you say jeff bezos is wrong people will be like people in hackers kind of like jeff bezos they like entrepreneurs and so you mm -hmm. kind of have to repurpose your titles kind of like on the Eckers, I would say, here's how Amazon uh, does this really well, or here's how Amazon uh, was able to go to the top 1% of your commerce stores. So it's kind of repurposing your title kind of shifts the way people see your content. And of course, gets you clicks. I mean, probably half of my time when I write content is like getting the perfect Facebook title, uh, Facebook title no, perfect um, title for like the community. If you get the perfect title, it's much easier for the things to come to come after. So you kind of got to match the mood of whatever community you're posting to. Yeah, and it's if you don't like if you don't do this, you instantly know when like even if you're only hackers and you go to like the new posts, you instantly know people who are there trying to promote their things. I think in 2020 mm -hmm. that that's just not doable. Like you can't go into a community and just expect people to you know like your content if you have not adjusted the content to them. Um, Shorab asks if you could go into a bit more detail about what makes a good Facebook post that drives comments and engagement. Of course, yeah, I always get questions about this. Um, like the post itself, I usually do a small video going over the tool. So if you do a small video showing how your tool works and you can kind of uh, make, make the speed like 2x or 3x so it's not boring. I, my videos are usually 10 seconds, 15 seconds. And then you just write a comment. Hey guys, I built this tool that does X and you kind of pitch them a, a short sentence. So it looks casual. It doesn't look like you're trying to get them to your tool. And then you ask, is there anyone here would be interested? 
And the people who are really interested, they all write yes, or they like the, or they like the post or something. And this makes the post go viral. And this is basically it. Definitely check out the article Lewis wrote. I'll link it again here because there are um, like exact examples that have worked. Um, yeah, I use that for pro like if I, I haven't tried this, but definitely this is doable, which is you have like all of these Facebook groups and you do this on all of the Facebook groups. And then instead of linking to your website, you link to your product hunt. And this is the true audience avalanche because you're getting people to go to product hunt where they'll upvote your product, which will get you more visibility on product hunt. So it's kind of an avalanche. There is some trickiness with product hunt where they super weight active users. So if you're getting a lot of inbound from Facebook groups that don't overlap with product hunt, you probably won't get as much of a yeah. I, you'd hope. I I think I think product hunt right now is a. I definitely got a lot of traffic for e-commerce ranker. But I definitely think that the community is not as like people people on like the Indiacers kind of niche. They they love product tent, but I don't think it's product tent is filled with like first first users, like early adopters. And the problem about early adopters is that you make a to do app, which is like I think probably everyone on Indiacers has has made a to do app. You made a to do app and you launch it on on product tent. You're gonna get like 50 users out of it. And that's fine, but when the next to do app launches, those exact same users will just sign up for the next to do app. So, product hunt is like, it's really challenging in terms of is this the right audience? Because people get like really, when you have like the top product, hunt, uh, product of the day, like this kind of confuses people because you want to go there to get the, the badge, not to get the users because mm -hmm. the users are not really related to your product. So, this is something I, I've been dealing with it myself. Like, I haven't launched Unicorns on product hunt. I don't. I don't think it's valuable. I'm probably gonna wait a while until I do it. So this is just something that you guys should keep in mind. My feeling or my impression of product hunt is that it is super surface level and is mostly based on how pretty your your designs are, because as you mentioned, there's super high churn and it's all about trying the the next hot thing. Yeah, guys, and, and like if you go to product hunt and you spend like a week uh, scraping product hunt. I feel like the same person could have like seven, seven product of the days in a row. It's like anything that gathers like a, a list of tools always goes to the like top product of the day. So like these types of products always are always successful on product end. But the problem is that this confuses people. This 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 shows that um, it shows that you're not really going to get like any business model out of it. So product hunt like has a lot of products with like good business models that don't go further and a lot of like just cute products that, you know, go to the product of the day. Yeah, it definitely works for some products. Like if you have high alignment with the product hunt community, oh, so yes. you're building a new email inbox, perfect match, launching product hunt. Yes. No, they're, they're like, they're definitely like, it's, it's definitely a good, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that there's not much more product hunts. Like I, I've launched on beta list. I've launched on a couple of services like this and I don't get like any traffic. So. Um, Nick Guzman asks, what are some resources that you've used to learn and develop on no code platforms? One thing, one thing you can do is before you're launching like an MVP and you really don't want to have like much work, you should definitely find other products that were built on your tool of choice. So if you want to build on like I, 
on table to site like i only picked table to site because i found that um there were like some products that were the exact same that as what i wanted to build so i got the pro like i i, I kind of copied the design because it was not my concern to have like the perfect design. So I was not going to waste time thinking about the design. And so this is kind of the best thing you can do in the beginning is you kind of have to steal. You have to steal like the things that don't matter to your product. Like if, if there's no value in the design of your product, it's okay to just go there and just copy what the design, the design that already works for like a different product. If you like it, go ahead. This will save you like a lot of time. This is something I always tell people like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You need to have, you know, like, you need to have the engine, not the wheel. If there's already a wheel, mm -hmm. go, go ahead and get the wheel because your product is probably not going to be, you, you don't need to think everything about your product. It feels to me like that's kind of the core ethos or value proposition of no code is don't build everything from scratch. Just focus on what makes your business unique and then copy everything else. I think so too. And I, 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 think, I think no code like opens a lot of possibilities for the non-technical people. But the funny thing I've noticed is that a lot of people on the no-code space are actually devs who are just like, they just don't want to, you know, get everything from scratch, get like, you know, code things. So it's mm -hmm. kind of, I don't know, it, it's kind of weird. I, I, thought it, I thought I would find more people like me, like non-technical people doing stuff, but all my friends in no-code, code. This is like <laughs> kind of a funny, funny how things turn out. Personally, I'm trying now to be more of a no coder despite starting as a coder because of the time savings. But it's definitely a bit of a, a psychological hurdle to like, you can't have everything pixel perfect how you imagine it, but you can have it really good, <laughs> really fast. Yeah, I, I've had some, some conversations about no code and I think everyone kind of feels the same. It's like no code makes it really easy to make the 90%, but the final 10% will be impossible. Like there's no way, like, there's no way you can have like 15 integrations and that will be like your product. At one point you need to get a dev. Like even for unicorn ads, we, we recently, like my company, we hired a dev, a dev person because it's just going to be necessary. There's a lot of things that a dev can add value to. I mean, this goes without saying, of course, but it's, it's, it's definitely like one of the challenges on no code. Gonzalo who has good insights on this mentions that the non devs on no code are certainly growing. Um, I feel like one of the the platforms that are really going to pull ahead long-term in no-code are the ones that do allow you to drop into that lower level when you need to, so like the bubbles and the web flows that at some point when you hit their limits, you don't have to leave their platform. You can hire a special to, specialist to I'm, keep going. I'm just worried about the business model. Like this is something I worried a lot, especially about companies. Like for example, I'm really scared that Webflow, like VCs come knocking and Webflow just I don't know, Webflow just starts costing, you know, 3x or 4x the, the price that it costs now, like this is a possibility. Like WordPress was terrible, but WordPress was open source. So like this wouldn't happen. Like at, at mm -hmm. most, like you would, it would just get buggier and buggier. But uh, this is definitely like one, one of my concerns about no code is that if a tool gets really popular or gets acquired, you know, the owners will want to like extract as much value as possible. And a lot, like a lot of people come to no code not just because it's uh, it's not just because it's easy, but it's also because it's cheap. Like if you want to do an MVP, you also have to consider the cost. Like if you want to do ten MVPs and each MVP costs you a hundred dollars, you just wasted a thousand dollars on possible possibly something that will not give you any money. 
I think Webflow does allow you to export code, but I think you have to pay for it at least for a month in order to export what you've made. I would really like to see um, like an open source no code tool, like the same way WordPress had an open source. Yeah, version. I mean, that would be there's like that. Yeah, of course. Of, yeah, I think I talked to this about console. I think, yeah, of course, Webflow allows you to export code. But if you have like a ton of integrations, all of your product is based on like that very specific ecosystem. If the ecosystem changes, just the amount of time that you need to take your product away from Webflow, which can be like six months or 12 months, depending on how big your project is, it can be like a lot of costs. You're definitely taking a risk anytime you build on top of another platform, whether that's like the iOS app store or it's Webflow or whatever. You, this is part of the trade-off is you're putting, you're putting part of your um, future in the hands of some other company. Yes, that, that's true. I mean, uh, some people have been like some people have been. Uh, I I think the like Kosal was saying that the amount of no code, the non devs on no code are growing. I think they're they're just going. They're just learning about it. Like people who used to use WordPress to do like all sorts of crazy things, and some people are doing crazy things on WordPress. Now they're realizing, look, I can like expend you know four times less effort on building something on Webflow, and this is what's going to happen. I would really be excited if no code really allowed for those people who never thought, okay, I couldn't build this to build something. There are some cases. I'm just curious if this is going to keep going or if we're just going to hit the slump somewhere along the way. I think we're going to have to get Gonzalo on for his own Q&A <laughs> based yeah. on the amount of <laughs> uh, reactions generated. Yeah, definitely <laughs> we need to uh, have a conversation with Gonzalo. He's a very interesting person. Um, you mentioned you guys are thinking about approaching, uh, doing more on YouTube. And I was wondering what your plans are for YouTube. How, how do you plan to approach it? Well, YouTube, YouTube has a thing, which is like, YouTube is a search engine on its own. And one of the things, and you've heard it from me guys, Google's traffic is, is going, is going down like for several years now. The crazy thing is like, if you go to younger people, they just don't Google things. And then Google also introduced those, those tables, those useful tables, which basically have taken a lot of traffic from websites. And so the way I see growth- You're talking about like the Google previews? Yeah, the snippets. I think snippets mm -hmm. is like the name they gave it. And it's more like Google steals. And the thing is, in the next couple of years, I'm definitely, predicting that a lot of the traffic will be on YouTube because, and think about it, guys, some people, when they want to cook something, they just don't Google it anymore. They go on YouTube. So there's kind of a shift in the search engine and YouTube has a lot of potential now. It's much easier to rank your video on YouTube. And there's like some crazy opportunities, which if you, if you can take them, they will grant you a lot of traffic. I've seen this for unicorn ads and it's, it's for sure possible to build products only using YouTube's SEO. Can you expand a bit on crazy opportunities? Yeah. So basically the way YouTubers think about YouTube is I'm just going to make this silly thumbnail and I'm going to post the video and my subscribers will get it. And this is the way it has been for like a couple of, I don't know, years now, but this is like B2C. But on B2B, there's going to be like a lot of opportunities on specific videos. So if you search like how to build a website with no code, if Webflow ranks on that, like this uh, long tail keyword, that's just absurd. Like everyone who doesn't know about no code 
will get like a chance to be pitched by Webflow basically because all of these videos are pitches. And if they do this at scale, I think the possibilities are like huge. It'll be interesting to see the same way, like people repurpose posts for me, multiple um, like text-based communities, people will be posting videos on like, take my long form YouTube video, make it work on TikTok or Snapchat, which I'm sure is already happening. But as you mentioned, it can only like grow, especially when we're talking like the B2C to B2B transition, which seems to happen on every platform over time. Yeah, the, the thing about marketing, and this applies to, no, I think this apply, applies to marketing in life, is that everyone just wants to do the thing that's working at the moment. So nobody wants to invest in like the next big thing. But if you invest in the next big thing, like you have a pretty big moat. Like it's like the people who focus on growing their LinkedIn profiles when LinkedIn was taking off. Now they have like a crazy traffic machine. Like I know people who have like, I don't know, 25,000 followers on LinkedIn. And they just post something and it just gets like a thousand, two thousand visitors. That's a lot for something that's free. And so I'm always trying to look at platforms that have like a ton of growth potential for like easy work. And so this is like YouTube. I definitely think it's going to be the future in terms of promotion, but it's, it's much harder. That, that's a, but you, you want things that are hard. Like you want, like, for example, Reddit, it's super hard to get a viral post, but once you get it, like there's a, a huge amount of potential there because you're going to have, like, I, I think I told the story. I made a post on Reddit, it went viral, and I literally got the, the director of data science to talk to me and invite me to Canada to work with him, like for interview and all that. But the thing is, like, how could I get that if not for the internet? Or like, I, I couldn't just message the guy and say, hey, you are looking for internship? Like, the uh, director offer... of data science for Reddit? Well, no, for Shopify. Okay. Could you um, tell that story? Yeah, of course. So I made the Reddit post. I think, can you link it? Uh, or do you want me to link it? Um, what's it called? I can, I can link it. Okay. So just give me a second, guys. That's actually probably my most interesting story of all time. Yeah, well, definitely tell us. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll post it now. So I made like this uh, Reddit post. I prepared it for Reddit. It's uh, based on my product. So my, my main goal was I'm going to make this Reddit post. I'm going to try to get some upvotes. And at the end, I'm going to link my project. And since my project is free, like Reddit is cool with free things. And so I'm going to like generate some leads. That was my main purpose with this post. However, it started to go very viral. And so I started to get many proposals. And so off this Reddit post, like in full transparency, I've made more than $10,000 off this Reddit post. Like this is... Like all in all, all the values of the deals that I got from a single Reddit post were like over $10,000. And I, I like the post started growing, gro growing super large and I got like a message and saying, hey, uh, Senior Noodles, which is my username. Um, I'm, I'm like X, I'm director of data science at Shopify. Uh, we're, really, we're really curious about your project. Uh, you guys, you have some like scrappy way of thinking. Like, would you be interested in an internship on, on Canada, like uh, with Shopify for data science? And I was like, well, this is pretty crazy. And then, and then I got the second message from the uh, engineering manager saying the exact same thing. Oh, look, somebody, like this post has been going like uh, viral on our like headquarters, like everyone's talking about it. Um, do you want to take like an internship here? And like... At the time, like nothing happened because I'm not really a technical person. So I just said like, look guys, uh, I'm not really a math person. So like, I'm not sure I would adjust well to the, the position. 
but I definitely appreciate a lot your interest. But it's crazy, like it's uh it's absurd. I definitely see the like you mentioned being cynical on Reddit as well. I see that here. Here are my boring findings as the title. Oh yes. <laughs> I knew I like I you know, it's one of those things like I, I knew these people would take this. It's it's just so it's just so cynical. It's like why why would the guy say this? And uh yeah, people people, people like this. Yeah. I like how you really fit the vibe of the community because Reddit's weird. Like every subreddit is almost its own website, but here you've made a post that really fits the vibe of the our entrepreneur subreddit, and then the success. success but actually, you know, the funny thing is, I actually didn't get like a lot of visitors. Like you know, full transparency. Of this post, I got like eight hundred visitors, which I thought for for a post that gets to like it was at one point it was the biggest like the most uploaded post of the month. And I thought like, whoa, I should get like a lot more visitors, right? I was expecting like, I don't know, 5,000, 10,000, but I didn't get a lot of them. And for that reason, like Reddit is good, but it's definitely like, I made like, I made my value on the, on the DMs rather than the, the, the traffic. It's interesting that even with less traffic than you hoped for, it was still good targeted traffic that led to revenue for you. Yes. I, I, yeah, like a lot, a lot of a lot of people, a lot of marketing people actually leverage this. So, um, like a lot of marketing people will use channels that are very close. Like for example, I know a lot of people use their own Facebook profile as kind of like a marketing channel because Facebook like uh, Facebook prioritizes posts from profiles now. And so what they do is like they just add a bunch of like prospecting clients and then they just post on on their profiles. And of course, like this is not scalable, but if you have like a business that really fits those people, this might be very profitable. I know like some people are making like, you know, 50,000, 100,000 per month just doing this, which is absurd, but it works. Um, to throw it back to kind of the beginning of the chat, you mentioned getting on newsletters as another like marketing channel you've pursued. What are the, how do people do that? How do you get in contact with the newsletter and get yourself featured? Um, like biggest challenge, definitely finding a newsletter that fits your exact product and mm -hmm. if they're like based on i don't know like there's a lot of newsletter based around tools like that's just super simple hey uh i built this you make like a small pitch and mm -hmm. if they think it's like useful they'll, they'll they'll feature you but newsletters don't really drive a lot of traffic i've noticed that's why i've i've been kind of like mm, i'm done with them it's uh like you you have to kind of do an roi of time like if you spend, I don't know, two, like two hours finding newsletters, sending emails, and in the end, like the combined traffic is like 200 people, maybe less. Well, is it mm -hmm. really worth it? If you were to launch a new product like tomorrow, where would your, where would you be focusing your energies in terms of marketing? Uh, the Facebook groups for sure. Um, I would be looking for more partners. Um, what do you mean by partners? It's easier to partner with people. Like I, I've definitely had some difficulty with this because the markets I operate are markets very much based around like rock star markets, which is like the 1% takes the 99% of the money while the 99% make no money. And so like I would definitely be looking for like larger people who have bigger audiences and leveraging that. I feel like that's like, that's a bigger business opportunity. If you can provide something that they don't have so far. 
Have you been able to leverage that so far, partnerships? Yeah, I mean, I don't like my industry a lot for that. It's kind of scammy. Marketing industry is kind of scammy in that. Like you never, like you always feel like they will, you know, go away with your money or not giving you the money. But other industries are, are better. Like for example, I've talked to this uh, lady who has like this blog, kitchen blog. Mm -hmm. She gets 1 million visits per month, which is like huge. And yeah, she was much more easy to do business with. And that's something I was thinking like, Jesus, if this is this easy, like you can build business off these people. What did that partnership look like? Um, in the end, like I, I was doing this partnership for a client. So the client wanted to get like a, a kitchen deal. And it was basically getting a pop-up on their website. Since, since she gets like, she gets uh, 1 million visits, we'll, get, we'll do a pop-up. And um, it was basically it. She, she, was only, she was only getting like AdSense revenue, which is peanuts. So if you can pay like, you know, a dollar above that CPM, it would be like probably, probably 50,000 per month or something in terms of uh, like what we would give her. And that's like for, for 1 million visitors, that's, that's super cheap. So it's like a flat rate, not a revenue share. Yeah. Well, she, she asked for revenue share, but then like my client didn't want because the product was very cheap. Like the revenue share was not like very doable. It was more of a scaling product, not a, like you couldn't share a lot of it. So, but it's definitely possible. Like if you, if you find big personalities online that you can leverage off to get traffic, like my main like my main marketing thinking is where I can get traffic because you need to siphon traffic from wherever the channel you're going through and to put it on your website and you need to get, of course, qualified traffic. The number of eyeballs you get on your, on your website is like, it's going to be like a, a percentage of the, you know, the amount of return you're going to get, like in terms of dollars, this is like the, the way you should think about traffic channels. Mm. That's why, like, for example, this might be controversial, but, I, I never had like a single Facebook page or Twitter page for my products. That that's worth it. Like that that's worthless. I see a lot of pro I see a lot of project projects who are, are makers. The, the first thing they do is they will just create like a Twitter page, a Facebook page, and then they have like mm -hmm. ten likes or eleven followers. What's that in terms of traffic? That's nothing. And so that that like you should expand your time thinking about how can I leverage the maximum amount of traffic so I can like you know keep growing and growing and growing. That's a really good point. It's really common, and I've definitely fallen for the same trap. It's like you try to focus on building your own audience for something nobody cares about yet. When you have all these big, juicy audiences, just right, right for the leveraging. Yeah, and for you. I feel like I feel like you know when you're when you're like building the you make a product and like ah I'm gonna build a Twitter page. You feel like it's work that makes you feel good. So I ah, I've just done this. Now this is done. I don't have to care about this anymore. That's actually the opposite. You've just created something where if you wanted to get some value out of it, you need to worry about it every day. So this is something I, I've been thinking. I definitely tell people like, you know what? There's people paying like, I don't know, social media managers for pages with less than 500 followers. You're how, like how, at the end of the month, like how much did it cost you like per visit in terms of dollars to get like out of, out of Facebook or out of Twitter? It's, it's kind of absurd in my opinion. So do you think in terms of like marketing funnels or what kind of mental model to use when you're thinking about traffic to conversions? It's always traffic. Like I need to find the, yeah. So there's something I call like the marketing wheel. So mm -hmm. essentially imagine this, I was building unicorn ads. 
And so my marketing wheel is people who might be interested in my product and what niches are they on? So Unicorn Ads was the top thousand Shopify stores. So I had like, there's the big wheel, right? Unicorn Ads, so small wheels. There's e-commerce, right? This is a, a tool for e-commerce people. There's people who run paid social media ads. So that's another bubble. Then there's like Shopify people, which is like a, a sub niche on e-commerce. And you do like all of these small bubbles and then you start thinking, okay, this is all the channels I can pursue. And then you go find the specific channels. So for Shopify, I would go into Shopify groups and I would say, hey guys, there's this tool. And mm -hmm. if you start thinking like this, you start, okay, so there's like a, this is how I should, I should structure my thinking. And like the larger your product grows, the more your bubble grows. And so you have like other places. Um, is that basically the approach you take with your clients as well when it comes to freelancing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just run Facebook ads. I'm, I'm definitely trying to get a, a, a side hustle going where I'm a, like a, a CMO advisor. I feel like there's a, a lack of marketing talent. So I'm definitely looking to, to, to do that. And yeah, for my clients, like when I had clients who were looking for like bigger opportunities, I would just say, look, I can, I can get you more revenue if you like, if you think about these ideas, like the idea I had about the kitchen, the kitchen blog lady, she had like a ton of traffic and she was not, she was not monetizing it in any way. Like she had some AdSense. She was making like $20,000 per month, but the amount of money she could be making, it's absurd. Like it's absurd. And so this is kind of like what I've, um, what, what I've been thinking about, like where, where are the growth opportunities that, that we can leverage to get like a lot of traffic in a, a very speedy way. Um, Nick Goodsman asks, what are uh, the biggest future e-commerce markets and the next like big opportunities in the space from your point of view? Um, e-commerce is tough because it, like you have to think about ac customer acquisition e-commerce. And the majority of customer acquisition comes from like ads, paid ads. And it's not even like from a lot of platforms. It's Facebook and Google. And there's like limited space and there's a lot of competition. So CPMs, which is what you need to pay for, like to get your ads in front of people are super high right now. I definitely think like if you fit a specific niche, that's a good opportunity. If you have something like for example, I've seen I've been seeing some people having a lot of success with rebuilds. So like you buy something and you just keep charging people like for access to something. So you buy like contact lenses and they just give you a subscription. So you need to keep buying you know subscriptions. So instead of you know paying twenty dollars to acquire a seventy dollar customer, you pay twenty dollars to acquire a seven hundred dollar customer. So this is kind of the big next big opportunity. That's a kind of an interesting. Um parallel between like physical goods and software goods or software it started like you buy Photoshop once and you have it. Now you subscribe to like Adobe cloud services, right? E-commerce, you buy your contacts for the year, you buy a pair of glasses. Now you subscribe to contacts monthly. Kind yeah, it's like a, like a trail software. If you like one thing that I, I benefited a lot from being on the advertising industry is that you start thinking about growth in a different way because there's a ton of growth avenues that just get exhausted. Like, you know, a, a lot of the stories you see on online about drop shipping and all that, that was good in 2015. The people who were doing that, they were making so much money just because Facebook ads were cheap. They didn't have like any good business. They just took the opportunity that they rode the wave, what they call it. So right now you had like this, like, right now you have like these people work at McKinsey who are like, you know, super smart, 
And in 2015, there were like kids in their bedrooms with like very bad Shopify websites making, you know, 500, almost millions per month just because Facebook ads were cheap. This is the kind of crazy things that I always think about in terms of like opportunities. There might be something right now that it's as like a super low cost to a barrier to, and barriers to entry. And you could be like super rich by, you know, the end of the year or something. This is something I've been thinking a lot. Like what is the growth lever that is so cheap that any business could use it? Facebook ads were one, like it was really ridiculous. At one point it costed less than 20 cents per, per click. Think about it. It's, it's absurd. What it, do you see any um, like undervalued growth levers right now? Yes, Pinterest, Pinterest is very undervalued. Uh, it, like for $1 million, you get one, basically one, you can get like probably a million clicks, which is like a dollar per click. Pinterest is definitely one, but like not, a problem with Pinterest is that, you know, it's a very specific audience. Like you're not going to sell software on Pinterest. Um, things that are very undervalued. Uh, LinkedIn messaging, LinkedIn conversational ads are very undervalued. You can like probably close deals for like $50. And I'm talking about like big uh, enterprise deals. What's and the conversation? It's like, it's kind of like a chatbot. You tried Facebook Messenger chatbots, right? So mm -hmm. what you do is um, you, you send a message and it has buttons. And if the person clicks on a button, they keep the message going. You can do this. So it's much more interactive. It's not like in your face uh, messaging ad, like buy this. No, you can make it conversational. You can make, you can kind of make a personality out of yourself and sell yourself. Mm -hmm. And so this is like a big opportunity and it costs 15 cents per message to send. That's absurd. That's absurd. Other undervalued growth channels? Uh, not, I mean, YouTube will be an, it's an undervalued. Like if you invest on, YouTube SEO, like if you think your product is like, if you're thinking in years of product, YouTube SEO is definitely one of it. It's kind of interesting how YouTube has both been around for a lot longer than a lot of these other like social media platforms. And yet it's also still one of like the largest future sources of growth potentially. Yeah. And the thing about YouTube is that I, I, I think a lot about like if a platform as a lot of users in it, even if the main objective is not business, you can always do business in it. So it's like TikTok. People say TikTok is all young kids. Uh, well, rest in peace, TikTok probably. But, uh, you know, if TikTok kept going, eventually your grandparents and your parents would be there somehow. They would be there. And that's when the, that's what, oops, my Loom Cube just went out. Um, that's where the money would go. You, you see, like, you would have a ton of opportunity. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think, like, if you find a place that has a ton of users, you can make a lot of growth just because that place doesn't understand how to monetize users very well. It's what I was, uh, it's what I was telling you guys. The kitchen blog lady. Think about this. She has one million visitors per month. If you were, like, a knife company or something, like, related to kitchen, why wouldn't you just pay this, this, this lady much less than you would pay Facebook. Because for Facebook to reach a million people, you would pay, you would pay much more than, you, you would pay 70K. And the, the, the amount of difference that you can get from this lady, it's crazy. Uh, another question from Nick, what are the current or future like pop-up businesses? So like gold rushes, like job shipping were. 
you see mm. anything coming down the line at the moment? Mm. I think dropshipping can still work if you have like an America. I, I, I'm telling you, rebuilds. Rebuilds are the future. They are already here, but there's ways of making it cooler. And I definitely think that's a good option. But uh, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not thinking of like a, a business that's really easy to get in right now. Mm, I'm not. I'm not. Nothing comes up. It's interesting to see these gold rushers come and go. It feels like with the internet, they can happen so much like faster and harder and bigger than they used to be able to. It's true, but right? the like thing the is like gold rush for decades. But what's like you know like we're gonna look back and we have like seeing all these kids with like millions of you know I don't know drop shipping. But the thing is like at the time nobody cared about those kids. Everyone was, you know, it's weird. Like you only see the wave after it passes. So it's interesting to see what like long-term businesses end up coming out of, um, like gold rushes, right? Like you have like drop shipping, right? But it leaves behind it a bigger Shopify. You know, there's like businesses positioned to take advantage and grow from gold rushes. And um, if you can get if you can be that person, then you've built like a long-term business potentially. Yeah, but the thing, the thing about dropshipping is that dropshipping was not a business because if 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 you if your business goes under because Facebook ads get to to you know like they were depending on Facebook, Facebook and China. Like the, the, if you look at the dropshipping history, you can kind of find a parallel to like all of the big businesses. So China wanted to push more product into the US. So what they did was they just um, they just, they just like basically, they were paying these dropshippers to get more product into the US. So they were like uh, paying the postal service. So they would just basically, you just have to wait like 45 days, but you'd get your product. And that's the thing, like dropshipping was not sustainable. Dropshipping was just because of Facebook ads. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, I don't know. It's kind of what I think about, uh, about these businesses. If you can find a growth lever that's super easy to, uh, to get and to just scale, that's perfect. Facebook ads were the thing at the time. You know, you could pay, I don't know, $20,000 and you could reach 1 million people. Imagine what this could do for any business. If you could reach 1 million people of like qualified customers, that's absurd. It's a similar danger to um, like building on top of a platform, right? Like you build a Facebook app, you depend on Facebook to own your code and let you have your business there. You depend on Facebook for your traffic, you depend on Facebook to continue to give those you those users. In both cases, you have like this core vulnerability. It's it's true. But you know, one thing I've been thinking is like, you cannot build a long-term business off it, but you can definitely like get a lot of like, you know, like within the time that the opportunity has passed, in the meantime, you've gotten a lot of value out of it. And even for yourself, like, like for example, this no code thing. I love no code. I'm definitely curious to see where it's where it's going. But I, I've I've taken my value out of it. Like I got a great job. You know, I, I got some great stories. I, I met some incredible people. Like this is what you should do. Like when things are starting to rise, you should take as much value for you as possible. So even if it dies off, like you 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 know you're you're done. But like if you want to think about long term business, think about stuff like built with. Like if if anyone here knows the story about built with, it's crazy. It's a $15 million business that has literally one person working on it. And what they do is they just scrape everything, basically. What was their like, um, key to long-term success, do you think? I think they had something that was very, very valuable 
and they just kept working on it and they saw people you know working more and more and they just kept absor absorbing the market you know to just get more and more people like more and more data and so i, I definitely think if you want to build long-term business you need to focus on data if you can get data and you can organize it there's like a ton of value in that you know it's difficult to see like what kind of business you're building from your current position sometimes like built with it turned out seo was a long-term strategy for them right but it could well have been that um, google had made some changes that killed like seo right so in some ways they were lucky that their source of traffic never died yeah that's true I don't think built with was very was SEO definitely played a, played a factor, but uh, yeah, I mean, if you look back in 2010, there's like a ton of businesses that were built off you know Twitter's easy growth hacking ways of just you push your product and you get like a ton of users. Right now, where are those businesses? They've they've gone away. Like they, they didn't pivot into any sustainable long term uh, marketing strategy. That's the thing. Like if your product is bad. You can kind of make some money off or, or get some users off this kind of growth hacks. But after a while, you need to start thinking about, you know, sustainable things. If you could, um, like, leave the people here today with one um, tidbit, if there's one thing you want people to, to come away with this, remembering what would it be? Yeah, I definitely think, um, like, my tip on you should, you should risk a lot but you shouldn't, you shouldn't play in lotteries. So I see a lot of people playing in lotteries, which is basically uh, you have to make something sustainable and you have to, whatever you build, it needs to be sustainable. You need to look at it and see, okay, I'm having returning users. I'm having people who really like my content. This is scalable. If you don't build this, if you don't systemize your, your thinking and your marketing and your business, you're going to fail pretty soon. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's uh, what I, what I would leave people here with. Um, how do you systemize your thinking? Uh, it's what I told, like it's, uh, for, for example, for marketing is a lot about the, uh, like the relevancy bubble, like the marketing bubble. So I, I start thinking like that and I start looking for specific channels. You have to kind of think like, uh, like Warren Buffett, you need to find value within each specific channel. So if you find like one thing that's very undervalued and you just push it to the max, you're going to get like a ton of value for your product. Because if your product costs $100 and you're paying $20 to get a, a new customer, that's really, that's really scalable. And so that's the way I think. Um, we're getting to the end of our time here. Are there any, uh, where should people find you if they want to follow your story? Uh, definitely find me on LinkedIn. I know that's uh, probably <laughs> the most boring place, but it's the only place I have for now. And uh, yeah, it's uh, Lois Vieira and just search Unicorn Ads, you'll find it. And at my website, I have a thing where you can subscribe to my newsletter and I write a lot about marketing there, only tangible marketing strategies. Um, cool, found your LinkedIn. All right, follow, everyone follow Lewis on LinkedIn, check out his website, definitely check out his Indie Hackers post, there's been some gold there. Um, I think everything is already linked in the chat. This meetup, uh, hopefully the recording was successful and we'll either upload the recording or a summary um, sometime in the next week. Um, Lewis, thank you so much for making the time to be with us today. This was an awesome chat. I feel like I learned just so much and, uh, yeah, I hope we uh, get to meet up in person again someday. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, Anthony, for the invite. I definitely hope you come back to Lisbon to get some pizza that, uh, that's definitely <laughs> my, my goal.
for the next game. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely get Gonzalo, get Gonzalo here. He, the, the man knows so much. Gonzalo, you heard it. You're up next. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's going to be a Portuguese takeover. Yeah, definitely a Portuguese takeover. Well, bye guys. This, this has been great. I'm going to go now. Bye, world. Bye. bye. bye.